friend, welcome to Brilliant Business Moms, a podcast all about helping brilliant women just like you to build a business on the side while spending time with their families. I'm your host, Beth Ann Schwamberger, and we're going to have a great time together. Let's get started. So today on the show, I'm super excited to have Erin Odom back. She blogs at thehumbledhomemaker.com. She's wife to Will and mommy to a trio of redheaded girls and one sweet baby boy. Woohoo! We both have baby boys at home. Erin says she's a recovering overwhelmed homemaker and she writes about motherhood, homemaking, healthy living, and family finances. And you guys, seriously, I'm so excited about this because I've had a chance to read Erin's book. She has her debut book coming out as you're listening to this podcast today, September 6, 2017. It's called More Than Just Making It, Hope for the Heart of the Financially Frustrated. And I loved her book. And just a quick confession here, I don't love a lot of nonfiction books. And so the fact that I loved Erin's book is Yes, I have so much praise for it. It's awesome. And you need to go check it out. <laughs> so anyway, sorry, that was Erin. <laughs> we're j- Okay, so you guys, we were just talking about this, about being ENFPs, which Erin and I both are, and how as ENFPs, we like to talk a lot. <laughs> and so, of course, my little intro that should have been like two sentences turned into paragraphs. <laughs> <laughs> All that to say, I'm so excited to have you here, Erin. I am so excited to be here, Beth Ann. It's good we finally press record so we could <laughs> chat with everyone else listening to. Oh, exactly. Yeah, Erin and I were having a nice little chat <laughs> before the interview. Okay, so Erin, I would love to hear more about how you decided to choose this book topic more than just making it and, and what drove you to write this book. Well, when we were living the story of the book, it's funny because I would have thought sometimes about, I want to write a book about this one day. But it was one of those things where I don't know if God was just planning that in my heart, and it, it very well probably is, but that it was one of those things where I never envisioned that I would write a book with, especially with a major publisher, but I was living this story thinking, God is teaching me so much. What good is going to come out of this? And lots of good has come out of this. And if we ever make it through this time, I want to do all I can to shatter the shame and the stigma of the poor. Because I know you know, because you've read the book, and your listeners, if they get the book, they'll see. I talk about how our family went from, well, really, I had grown up in upper middle class America, really never wanted for anything. Always, I was educated in private schools, you know, had a college education, to the book opens where I'm walking into the Department of Social Services to apply for food stamps. So while I was living it, I began thinking about it would be really awesome to write a book about this one day. But it's funny because what my first thought was, I I really had a chip on my shoulders. And I talk about this in the book. I was very prideful. I thought that I shouldn't be in the position that I was in. And so I was at first thinking that I was going to have government aid, which is very taboo in our culture, and then I was going to write an expose on it and how bad it was. (laughs) 
And, you know, that's how prideful I was. I was just like, I'm going to see how bad this system is, and then I'm going to write a book about it. And, oh my goodness, God just humbled me again and again and again. And so I would not have gone after a book deal myself. I don't think it was one of those dreams that was just too big to even dream. In my mind, it was. Um, But an agent contacted me and I started working with him. And when he contacted me, he said, you need three things to publish a book in today's market. You need to be able to write, you need to have some kind of platform, and you need to have a story that meets a heartfelt need. Now that can be a nonfiction book, but something that is going to meet people right where they are really hurting. And whenever he signed me, he said, okay, I know you can write because he, he actually found me from my blog on Facebook. I know you're all about Facebook, Beth Annie found me on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, I know you can write. I know you have a platform. Now let's figure out what that story is. So the process in talking with the agent and signing with him, we had several very long phone calls about my life, about different things that I had learned and different ideas that I had. And it kept coming back to this story. And when we were walking through living the story, I would think in my head all the time, we are just barely making it and that would come in my head and at some point it was like the tables began to turn and I started saying okay we can go from barely surviving we can be more than just making it Hmm, I love that Erin and you tackle this topic that I think a lot would consider controversial really well like it opened my eyes to, you know, that world of government assistance. And, you know, similar to you, I grew up upper middle class and, you know, very privileged, which is something that it's taken a long time for me to really acknowledge. I'm, I'm privileged, right? And there's worlds out there that I haven't had any glimpse into yet. And you do such a great job of taking us like bringing us into your story and showing us a glimpse of that other side. And, but I'm curious, as you were writing about this topic, I mean, it couldn't have been easy. Were you worried about your audience's reception? And I guess maybe even as we're talking right now, are you worried about your audience's reception to, to hearing about your take on, on government assistance and your family's struggles? I am, and I was more so at the beginning. It is just one of those messages that I knew I could, I could not not tell it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And I am concerned. I think at this point, it's a long process to write a book with a publisher. I signed with my agent January, 2014, took a really long time. Now I took my time to write the proposal. So I, I took almost two years to write the proposal because I was doing all these other things professionally but then it I wrote the book in 2016 and so now it's coming out the end of 2017 so I think I've been able to process a lot of those emotions during that whole when you look if you count the time I from the time I signed with my agent that's almost four years I've been able to process a lot I have shared my story bits and pieces of it, not the entire thing, but bits and pieces on my blog, to my blog readers, in my newsletter, with 
lots of friends in real life. Everybody who I would have been ashamed, honestly, to have shared my story with in person or anywhere when we were living it. And so because I've shared the story and I've, I've had mostly f- positive feedback at this point, which I know I'm going to get some negative feedback. And it's one of those things where I just have to trust God and realize that not everyone's going to agree with me. Not everyone's going to see things the way I see things. And that a lot of people that don't is because they haven't walked in those shoes that I walked in. And I felt the same way that they're probably feeling now. I felt that same way before until I was actually living it. One thing I do say in my book is that I don't condone the lifelong use of government aid, except for there are some people that I think may need to be on it for life, and that would be disabled people, mainly disabled, but there are some people that are just born into poverty, and it is so hard to climb your way out if you aren't born into privilege, like you said, that you were and I was too, and it's one of those things where even writing the book, I had to come to grips more with that word privilege that I, you know, I had a leg up. I had an automatic leg up Mm -hmm. out of low-income living because I was a college-educated white female. Now, some people would say even male, you know, if you were male, you would have had an even better leg up. I was married to a white male with a master's degree, you know, and so we automatically, we had parents that if we really got desperate, we could have moved in with them. We did live with my parents for six weeks. We had college degrees that could help us to get jobs and learn how to create more income. We went to a really good church where we were able to get resources like meet with a financial planner. And so there's things that we had that not everyone has access to. So I think that I probably will come against people who don't agree with me. And it's one of those things that I'm at peace with it now, but I've definitely grappled with those feelings over the last four years. And it's not to say that I won't cry at a bad review. (laughs) Maybe I will. I know I'm going to get some bad reviews, you know, and that's part of being an author. That's part of being someone that has any kind of online platform, but I could not have not written about this. Right. And, you know, Erin, I think that part of that, you know, negative feedback, that's almost a sign that you're really saying something of meaning. Like you've dug deep on a topic. You're not just skirting around things and talking about stuff that everyone can smile and nod to. Like you really dug deep and you shared a personal story and a personal perspective. And so, yeah, like I, I mean, and again, it's easier for me to say <laughs> because I, it's not my book, you know, but, but, you know, hopefully it's like any of that negative feedback. You can be like, you know what? I'm, I'm doing my thing. I'm doing what I felt like God has called me to share. And here is, you know, brace myself for <laughs> the, the aftershock, I guess <laughs> you could say. With that, Erin, because I know there are women listening who also have something tough or tricky, challenging, controversial that they need to be writing about or sharing about or creating a whole business around. What advice do you have for other writers who might be handling a difficult topic? 
Well, I would say, first of all, I know that not all of your listeners are people of faith, but if you are a Christian, definitely put a lot of prayer into it. Don't just haphazardly say one day, I'm going to write about this topic or I'm going to start a business with this type of clientele and go into it without really bathing it in prayer because it can be difficult and just know that that is what you are supposed to do before you just go out and do it. As well, I would do a lot of research on the topic. I did a lot of research on the topic. So I had my story that we lived, but I also needed to to research the real facts around things. So you need to go into things objectively, not just with your subjective experience. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, definitely. And Erin, I have to say that is one thing I loved about your book, which I wanted to touch on too, is it was well-researched and well, I mean, you had so many sources that you were citing and somehow you beautifully combined like a memoir, like your personal story with like tangible, actual stats and research and I don't know. How did you even do that? <laughs> so the way I wrote the book, it's interesting. This I don't know about your listeners. I encourage them to read a lot or listen to podcasts. With whatever business they are running, they're going to be influenced, obviously, from by whatever they're reading or whatever they're listening to. So in the year or so before I wrote my book, when I was writing my proposal, there were a couple of books that I read that were incredibly gripping and I could not put them down and they read like fiction but they were non-fiction and one of them was Bonnie Gray's Finding Spiritual White Space. It was nothing like I thought it was going to be but it was just incredibly page turning and she did have practical tips in the book about finding your own spiritual white space which was really good for me at the time I was reading it because I was in a season of entrepreneurial burnout really but her whole book was framed in memoir. Every chapter started with a story that had a continuum. So you would read the story, get to the practical meat, but then you couldn't wait to get to the next chapter because the next chapter would start the next part of the story. And I thought, I would love to write a book that had that same kind of feel to it that almost would read like a novel. And then I also read Emily Raringa's Atlas Girl. And hers doesn't have as much practical, but it's in a really, really, really good book. And it's about her time moving around the world, going on various trips from place to place, but then her mother also having a terminal illness at the same time. So anyway, those two books highly influenced me. And I thought right then, if I'm going to write a book about our story, if I'm going to write a book that has any kind of financial practicality to it, I don't want it to be just a dry, boring book Mm -hmm. about this is what it was like to live on government aid and here's how you improve your financial situation. You know, like I wanted a book that was going to take people there so that from the first page, they felt like they were walking with me into the food stamps office so that no matter what their financial well-being in the moment, because, you know, I went from upper middle class to I'm in line for food stamps, you know, So whether they are doing really well financially or whether they're struggling, I want them to feel like they're in that space with me so that it's the closest thing they could get to actually living it themselves. Because I really, I really wanted to evoke empathy with them. I 
feel like the way that we create empathy for other people and their stories is by sharing our stories. And until we can start to do that, it's going to be really hard to relate to people that have different experiences than we do. Oh, that is so true. And Erin, I think that that's why I loved your book so much. You know, I kind of mentioned at the beginning that I'm not, other than like a book that's like marketing strategies, I don't love nonfiction books. And I think it's because so many of them don't tell a story. And you told a story but it was so practical too. And even on the practical side, I have to say, and I'd love to dig into a few practical tips here, but your practical tips were better than any other practical tips that I've seen from like a personal finance type of book. So it's like you dug deep on the story and you dug deep on being so insanely helpful to your readers. Well, I, that's kind of you to say that, Bethann, and it was not easy. I will tell you, it was not easy to write this book. I, Like I said, I've always loved writing. Um, I majored in journalism in college, and honestly, just to be completely transparent, I went into this thinking it was going to be a lot easier to write the book than it really was. Like At the time, around 2015, I was really in that entrepreneur burnout, and I I was just longing to write because when I started my blog, yes, it became a business, but I just wanted to write. So I kind of had in my head that this is going to be so much easier than anything else I've ever done professionally. (laughs) I laughed because it wasn't easy. It was not easy at all. And the story part of it, the memoir, it was emotionally difficult to write. There was so many layers of what was going on in our lives at that time, and there were painful things we were walking through, and some of those made it into the book, and some of those didn't, but that was difficult, and honestly, writing the practical part, some of that was, it was even a little bit, it was kind of boring to me, (laughs) so uh, can I say that? I mean, this is, this is the inside of the Brilliant Business Moms, right? Like, what, what are you doing when you're thinking about writing your book or running your business is there ever parts you don't like there were some parts of that that I thought are people actually gonna like this is this going to help anyone but I also I'm an encourager but I didn't want to give somebody a book that they read and then they finished it and they thought wow that made me feel really great I am so encouraged but I don't know how I can change my life. Like, I don't know how this, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. I I really wanted it to be a mix, but it was definitely very challenging to have it be a mix. Yeah, for sure. Well, and Erin, I, I love that you confess that because here's the thing. <laughs> I think the reason why maybe to you, you were like, oh, this part is boring or these practical tips, like, oh, does anyone really like need this or hasn't everybody heard this before? I think that that's so easy for all of us as like women business owners to kind of do is like we sell our knowledge short because we think like oh clearly everybody knows about this topic you know like like for me I'm like oh clearly everyone can just google and know how to run Facebook ads right (laughs) you know but it's yeah it's like what comes naturally to you is you know so different than what comes naturally to someone else because okay confession here like I am not good at personal finance at all. (laughs) Like, 
I I cannot even tell you how many times my husband and I have sat down and like tried to create a budget and then like we never stick to it. We like we're doing fine. I mean, I guess, again, we have that luxury where it's okay if we don't stick to a budget. We're not we're financially doing well, but it is it's like frustrating. It's like we always are trying to like spend less and save more and we aren't great at doing it and yeah so I read all your tips and was like this is amazing well I will tell you what's funny is that like you said like you think other people probably already know all of these Facebook ad things which we just talked about before I went on air like we are I don't like I struggle with that and when I was writing the book there's so many tips that I grew up with so I grew up in a, in a home that was upper, upper middle class but my parents neither of them grew up wealthy my they would say they they actually at first I said they were poor in the book and my mom said no change that they were in large families with very little extra so my mom was one of six kids or her father was a pastor my dad was one of five and his dad left the family when he was an older teenager early 20s but the mom still had several kids at home and so they didn't have a lot of extra so both of them learned to be frugal just from their families of origin so even though my dad had a really good job when I was growing up they still practiced a lot of frugal living and that's what I grew up in even though we never wanted for anything so what was neat is I could see God's hand in my life during the recession when we were walking through that low income journey the story that I was living that ends up in the book that God had prepared me for that from the time I was a little girl because I really knew how to pinch pennies because of what my parents had instilled in me. So when I was writing the book, I had to realize not everyone grew up in a family with parents that are super frugal like mine are. So I had to realize that this is some information that hopefully other people will glean something out of it. Yeah, exactly. And I totally did. And I love what you said too about, you know, God just preparing you every step of the way, all of those circumstances, everything. Yes. So true. Okay. So Erin, I know we've been talking all about, you know, writing the book and developing this and, uh, you know, difficult messages to share and how you wrote it. And, you know, I do want everyone listening to go out and grab their own copy of more than just making it. But if you can give them, you know, just one thing from our interview of what you want them to know. If someone out there is feeling frustrated financially, they're struggling financially, what's that one thing that you would want them to know? I would tell them that there is hope. There is always hope. There is always a light at the end of the tunnel. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to make it rich one day. I can't predict that. But Wherever you are right now does not mean that you will be in that situation for the rest of your life. And I think that when you're in the situation of being financially frustrated or whatever trial you may be going through, it's so easy to think this is how life is going to be forever because that's what I thought. I remember thinking we are always going to be struggling, especially if you are listening to brilliant business moms and you are an entrepreneur. If you are trying to figure out a business for your family, I think that you have already taken one of the major steps that I outline in my book. One of the things that we discovered 
a major thing we discovered was that we had an income problem. And so a key component of my book is that if you're financially frustrated, you may have an income problem or you may have a spending problem. And once you find the root cause of your problem, then you can come up with a solution. So if you are struggling financially and you have a small business or you are planning for one, you are already steps beyond what many people are because you were beginning to create more income for your family. That's so true. What a great point, Erin, and hopefully very encouraging (laughs) to the women out there listening. So your blog, The Humbled Homemaker, I mean, that played a pretty big role, right, in helping your family to be more financially free and not be so stressed? It, It really did. So I started it in 2011, and it was kind of on a whim. I was writing for several newspapers at the time, freelancing, and one of my editors, the same week that my college roommate and best friend told me that they both told me the same thing, which is weird because they didn't know each other at all. They didn't even live near each other. They both said, Erin, there are moms who are making an income from home with their blogs. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I had only read one or two blogs in my life before then. So long story short, I thought, I wonder if I could ever do that. I wonder if I can write on a blog and create more income for my family that way. And so I I didn't have any money to invest Bethann. You know, if I could do it over, would I have done it differently? No, because I didn't have any money. If your listeners have money to invest, there are lots of ways that you can start out a blog or a business with investing money into it. And you can do things a lot quicker than I was able to do things. But I had no money. I didn't even have $10 to invest in a domain name. So I literally started on thehumbledhomemaker.blogspot.com because it was free. And you could monetize a blogger blog. And back then, and I think it's still the same, you couldn't monetize a WordPress.com site. So I started it and DIY'd everything. Got into a mastermind group pretty quickly. And that was totally God's hand in things too. Some girls approached me. They were new bloggers. We all got in a mastermind group together. We all had different strengths and weaknesses. And one of the gals in the group, she was wanting to be a blog designer. And so a year in, she said, Erin, I would love to use your site as a guinea pig. I know you really can't afford a blog design from a professional. Will you let me design your blog and move you to WordPress? By then, I had enough money for hosting and all that. So it was about two years, I think, before I was making more money than my husband was as a teacher. And then it was three before I was making what you would consider a really good income. And I don't share income reports, but it was a very good income. And at that point, there was no reason why he couldn't have quit his job. But we actually prayed and talked over and thought a lot before he did. And for I mean, I guess about three years we did back and forth. And he went down to four days a week in 2014, I think. And then December 2016, he quit his job as a teacher. And now we run the blog together. Uh, One reason why we weren't sure about him quitting his job was because we were we didn't know if our marriage would survive us working together every day, (laughs) just to be honest. But it's, it's it's been a challenge because he came home like, in Jane, like December, he came home. We worked together for about six weeks, and it was going really well. And then I had a baby, 
And so that was challenging, but that's been eight months now. And so things have gone better, but I could not have predicted it back then, but I definitely see how God had everything planned. And, you know, I worked hard. I don't want to act like blogging as a business is easy. I worked really, really hard. And then somewhere in there in 2013, I started the Ultimate Homemaking Bundle with Stephanie. And that's, I think, when you had me on your podcast a long time ago, it was about that. And we did that together for a couple of years. And I got really burnt out doing that and my blog. And then when my agent signed me, I, I literally took my Bible and a journal and I went to a coffee shop and I kind of had just church with just me and Jesus and um, prayed and journaled and I felt like God was saying, walk in this and this is what you're supposed to be doing. And my agent kept saying, he didn't pressure me, which is really unusual for an agent so if any of your listeners are like I'm an entrepreneur mama and I want the next step like I want to write a traditionally published book and I would say um, it's unusual for an agent not to pressure you to get that book proposal done because agents don't make any money until you get you make money and so he kept telling me though Aaron your book's going to come out when God wants it to come out So I had to really come out of that burnout I was in and, you know, continue. The blog is what supports our family now. You know, I couldn't just stop everything altogether, but I'm very thankful for how everything has worked out. Yeah, that's incredible, Erin. And just you, I mean, you truly started from scratch. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah, I think that's just really encouraging for women out there listening who, like you said, I mean, there are a lot of people who they do not have a sense that they can invest to get things going or kick things off. And so your perspective is so wonderful to know that it's okay if that's where someone is at. Okay. So Erin, I want to chat a little bit about marketing your book. I'm kind of a marketing nerd, so I always want to chat marketing, but I think there will be a lot of ladies listening who are curious as well. Because your book is traditionally published, I know you have some resources from your publisher, but I think that, I think ladies might be surprised at what comes with a traditionally published book and what doesn't. And so I'd love to just hear more from you on how the book marketing is going. So, well, first of all, even before the book marketing, one thing I did really appreciate about a traditional publish, a traditional publisher is that I didn't have to go out and hire my own editor and hire a designer and the quality of the editing, it was very high caliber. I have some self-published ebooks and I've worked with some editors in the past. There was nothing like the quality of editing that I had with this book. The marketing, it really depends on your publisher. It depends on the type of book deal you got. And it depends on, I think, sometimes the author's platform, whether or not the publisher has the funds to pour into marketing for that author or not. So I think I'm in an author mastermind group. And so we talk about this a little bit there. And then I've had some questions just from launch team members And people are surprised sometimes that when you are with a traditional publisher that they don't always cover 100% of the marketing. And part of that is because the author might have their own marketing plan. 
the publisher can help lead the way a little bit and they can help brainstorm and I have a good marketing team from the publisher that is working with me but there are things that I'm doing that I just simply want it to do because I feel like they will work with online marketing since that's my background that the publisher isn't funding. The publisher does have a marketing budget for me and they are funding some things and they are funding some things that are requested but it is a misconception that if you're with a traditional publisher that they will fund 100% of your marketing or even come up with a marketing plan for you. Mm. Yeah, that's really good to know. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's like, you know, your book the best, you know, your audience the best. And so I think it's great to be the the person kind of taking the reins on marketing. But yet at the same time, like you said, you do have them supporting you and helping you with that plan. Mm -hmm. So I've loved the support, Bethann. And, you know, some people will say, well, why write a traditionally published book when you could self-publish and continue to sell more and more and potentially make a lot more money? I love working with people. I love the accountability and it has fit my personality really well to work with a publisher. That's not to say I wouldn't ever self-publish another book, but I've absolutely loved working with a publisher. That's good to know. And I can definitely tell, you know, you were talking about the caliber of the editing and the support that you even had from your agent going into things. Yeah, there are some really fabulous things about being traditionally published. And, you know, there's that advance as well, which is is nice so that you're getting some funds up front while you're writing your book, which of course, anyone who's self-published is not (laughs) getting funds as they write their book. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that is the difference. So when you write a book with a traditional publisher, you actually get paid at least part of your advance before you even write the book, which I had no idea and which is really cool. So the way my publisher does it is they they pay you in thirds. So I got one third of my advance check when I signed the book deal. Then I got the second third when I turned in the completed manuscript And then I actually, you're supposed to get the third third, the final third, when the book comes out. And I actually got it in the mail this week. My husband and I were pleasantly surprised that it came this week instead of September 5th. But that's how it works. Some people, I think, may get, uh, I don't know if they ever give 100% up front. Each publisher is different. I do know I have some friends that have gotten 50% up front. And then they get 50%, I guess, when the book publishes. It is nice, though, to have that cushion. And... It allows you to take some time off from whatever your other job may be, or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you don't bring in a lot of other income, but you need some money to hire babysitters while you're working on the book or whatnot, that it's really nice to have that there to invest and then to invest some of it in marketing yourself. You know, for me, the blog has had to take more of a back seat than I would like. I don't know if I'm 100% objective though, because I had a baby and I wrote two books on 12 months. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I don't know if everyone's experience would be just like mine, but I definitely was not able to do as much with the blog, which is our only income while I was writing the book. So it was really nice to have that advance there to help us during that time. 
Yeah, I don't know. My second book is a gift book, and it comes out in April of 2018. And I, I literally wrote both books and had a baby all within 12 months. I don't know that I would do that again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is a lot, Erin. Okay, so I have to ask, and if you can't share, that's okay. But what is your next book about? What's that? Does it have a title? It does. So, and it's even up on Amazon, which is another crazy thing to me about traditional publishing. Your book will go on Amazon and all the other sites, Barnes Noble, whatever, while you are still writing the book. So, when I was in the middle of writing more than just making it, you could go on Amazon and you could see a cover and you could see a description. And I was like, well, I guess I better make sure I include that in my book because everyone thinks it's going to be in there because it's up on Amazon. And the same thing for my second book. And my second book is called You Can Stay Home With Your Kids, 100 Tips, Tricks, and Ways to Make It Work on a Budget. And the, the team there actually came up with that book. I didn't have to write a proposal for it. They came up with the title. They came came up with everything and they asked me if I would write it. It was kind of an offshoot from a blog post that I wrote several years ago. So you can go on Amazon right now and you can read about it and you can look at the cover. The cover for that one I really love, but actually it's still in the editing process. I've turned in the manuscript and I'm waiting on my first revision right now, but I did read it. I thought, oh, I don't, I didn't put that in the book, but I guess I need to add it in there. That is, that's pretty funny. I did not realize that it worked that way. It does. It's really, it's really neat looking at the behind the scenes of book publishing. Definitely. Well, Erin, it has been so much fun chatting with you today. And I love just, you know, getting a behind the scenes peek at writing a traditionally published book and your whole process for that. As we wrap up, we love to ask all of our mamapreneurs if they have either a funny or an adorable mom moment to share. So I would say I've had a lot of adorable mom moments over the past six months since my little boy was born. And I'm sure you could probably say the same over the last few months since your little boy was born. Mm -hmm. But something that I have loved is watching my three older girls with him. They are nine six, almost seven, five, and they are three extra mamas to him. The other night I was giving him a bath and they asked if they could give him a bath and they actually started fighting over who was going to give him a bath. So it ended up being that he got three extra baths that night and like literally I was like okay girls it was one of those nights where I just didn't feel like dealing with it and it was one of those things it's like don't major on the minors like who cares if he's extra clean tonight he can be extra clean and so literally like the nine-year-old scrubbed him up poured the water over his head rinsed the shampoo out then the six-year-old came and had her turn then the five-year-old came and had her turn so he was super clean that night and very well loved Oh, I that is so cute. I I love that. That sibling love is it's just so sweet to it watch. It really is. So how how's Holden doing with Levi? Like he's adjusted really well? Yes, so well. He there's definitely been moments where I think especially if a new person is meeting Levi for the first time, you get that sense that Holden's like, okay, I don't love that Levi is getting all the attention right now. 
But in terms of like on a regular daily basis, he loves Levi so much. He, he constantly is just like, can I come say hi to Levi or can I, and like, we'll just essentially, he'll just like perform for Levi all day long. I call it the happy baby Holden show (laughs) because we can like put Levi down on his little play mat. And then we have this big carpeted area and Holden will just flip and dance and sing. And Levi just smiles and like he will, if Holden's in the room, his eyes are pretty much on Holden. He's just like staring at him. Like what's big brother doing? What's he up to? I've got to learn. Like I've got to study him so I can be like him. It's yeah, it's Aww, so cute. That is so great. I do love watching the siblings together, and I, I like the age difference. Like I know Holden and Levi are about six years apart. Is that what you said? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my girls are the youngest one was four and a half when my little boy was born, and that's a really it's really good because they're all old enough to really enjoy him, and he's young enough to kind of be spoiled by them. And it sounds like it's kind of the same with your boys. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, they really do get to get to enjoy them. They're kind of past the little kiddo phase, I guess. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Erin. This has been so much fun. And can you just remind everyone one more time, where's the best place where they can learn more about your book and go grab their copy? They can find me at thehumbledhomemaker.com and they can learn about my book and grab their copy from morethanjustmakingit.com. They can also, if they're interested, they can take my free e-course at eatingwellonabudget.com. That goes through some of the practical tips for my book, but it's in video format with free printables and worksheets to go along with it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Erin. Thank you. Before you go, I would love it so much if you would take just a minute to leave Brilliant Business Moms a rating and review. You know, it sounds like a silly thing to ask for, but believe it or not, iTunes really looks at those rating and reviews in terms of where they rank our podcast in search and in different podcast categories. So by simply taking a minute, telling us what you think of the show, it lets other brilliant business moms just like you find our podcast and they get to tune in every week. So you're doing not just us a favor, but you're doing a lot of other fabulous moms just like you a favor too.